just thank you for the privilege, Lord, uh, to be able to come together, Lord, and just enjoying the fellowship with one another, to enjoy being together, to sing your praises, and then to have before us your word. That is our prayer, that your word would speak to us today, Father, that our hearts would be open to receive all that the Holy Spirit desires to pour into our hearts, Lord. If there is anyone here today, Father, and they're just laid down, maybe they're just carrying something and it's going to prevent them from just enjoying your spirit this morning, God, would you just show them how to cast that care upon you? You care for them. Set them free for such a time as this to hear your word and enjoy it. Word of God, speak. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen, amen. amen. God bless you guys. And good morning. A glorious day. Well, no long intro. I got a lot to say. Oh, boy. Turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. Luke's Gospel 14. How many people do I have here that are humble? Would you raise your hand? <laughs> How many people do I have here this morning that have an issue with pride? Raise your hand. Man, you guys got to get saved. So you, I guess you can tell what the study's going to be about this morning. Not pride, but humility. And my prayer for all of us is that when we leave here this morning, I don't know, maybe there will be a gauge in our heart that just shows us where we're at when it comes to humility. Because that is a struggle. And I think, it, no, I, I don't think, I know, it's a struggle because of our fallen human nature. Humility. Well, let, 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 let me get going. Verse says, he went into a house, Sabbath day, that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. Jesus answered and spake unto the lawyer, or the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on a Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him, he healed him, and he let him go. And, and, answered, them, or, and answered them, saying, Which of you shall have a, a donkey? Or an ox fallen into the pit. Will not straightway pull him out on a Sabbath day. And they could not answer him again to these things. And he puts forth a parable to those which were bidden, invited. When he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them. When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding. Sit down or sit not down in the highest rooms, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. 
And he that bid thee, and him that comes, say to thee, Give this man place where thou begin with shame to, uh, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, come and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee, invited thee, cometh, he might say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at me with, the, with thee. For whosoever exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. And then said he also to them that bade him, that invited him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friend, nor your brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor a rich neighbor, lest they also bid thee again, and recompense be made, made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lamb, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee or reward you, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Let's stand together with Bible in hand and pray again. Father, again, uh, we just stand before you and we just, Lord, with, with your word in our hands, we ask for that anointing upon our minds and our hearts, Lord. And Father, I just pray, if I can selfishly, just help me today, Father. Just help me, Lord, to share with my dear brothers and sisters, Lord, what your heart is, how you displayed humility, how you've called us into a certain lifestyle, and how that is so foreign to the sinful nature. Lord, please, Father, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would just be our chief instructor here. I love you, Lord, and thank you for this word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Thanks. Jesus, again, invited to a home. Uh, tells us there that it was a, a ruler, a Pharisee. Uh, the Pharisees, the group of them, very conservative, uh, very uh, strict, legalist, we would call them. They were the ones who would rule over um, other other religious groups. They had more clout over the Sadducees and the scribes. It tells us that he was one of the rulers there. Uh, I think uh, my old king called him a chief of the Pharisees. Probably means that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a group of men, roughly around 70 men, and they were the men who made up all the policies that could took care of the religious matters between different synagogues and individuals. They were very influential, not only just in Jerusalem, but around the world. The Sanhedrin were powerful people. Now, as we read through this text, we can tell right away that this, again, is a trap. It's just a trap. Um, they, uh, the, the, and by the way, it wasn't just a trap. The bottom line is they wanted him dead. Now he didn't just go there. Jesus, I'm referring to Jesus didn't just go there because he was invited to have a meal. We know, according to Jesus, as he was here, he came to seek 
and to save those that were lost. So not only did he come to seek and to save um, the sinner, you know, the friend of sinners, but he also came to seek those who thought that they were all that with God, that they were very religious groups. And he even came to try to reach out to the religious community. We notice as we read verse 1 that he's not just, well, it's not just the scribes and the Pharisees, but you notice there in verse 1, I'll read it, it came to pass that as he goes into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, notice it says, latter part of verse 1, that they watched him. Uh, again, um, they're watching him. There's just more than the Pharisees and the and the Sanhedrin there, there are other people invited, and now everybody is watching Jesus. Look what he says in verse 2. Behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsies. Uh, the man with dropsy was just the bait. He was probably deliberately set there. Now, dropsy is a physical condition. It's where really the body will retain a lot of fluids, uh, back then, in biblical days, it was very, um, very painful. Uh, your body would become very bloated. You would retain a lot of fluids. And uh, you would even become physically deformed and, again, experience considerable amount of pain. Now, the religious leaders, again, had placed them there because they knew exactly what Jesus would do. Uh, again, not the first time Jesus would heal on a Sabbath day. Remember the other guy that was in the synagogue on a Sabbath day with the withered hand? You know, they wanted to see, will Jesus reach out to a guy with a withered hand? And of course, knowing the story there, he does. He, he would walk into a room, Jesus would. You can get, it's guaranteed that Jesus would not look for the most prominent seat. He would walk into the room without exception, and he would go to probably the greatest need. And they knew this about him. You could have a room full of 500 Pharisees. You could have a room and, and add to it another 300 Sadducees, add the scribes, add the Sanhedrin. But if Jesus were to walk in that room, he would notice one man with the dropsy. He would notice one man that was suffering. That's just the nature of Jesus. Um, also important, again, to keep in mind that this did happen indeed, uh, indeed on a Sabbath day. See, again, they were looking for a way to see how they could excuse him of a, of a violation, a violation against God's law. But when we really look into the Old Testament and we look at the sabbatical law, God's law, his interpretation what we find out, Jesus had never, ever violated any of God's law. Jesus himself would come and say, I have come not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. If you really want to know how to fulfill the Old Testament, please note this for note takers. If you really want to know how to fulfill the law of the Old Testament, just watch Jesus's life. He fulfilled them all and he did it with such mercy and such grace Again, they're looking for an excuse to reject Jesus and to reject his teaching as the coming Messiah. Man, this has been going on now, um, shy of three years now. And so we conclude now this is nothing but just a trap, another trap. Um, 
Again, considered uh, it a trap. The teaching of that day, if a man had a deformity, if he had an affliction, he would be on the side of God's judgment. He would be considered as if God was judging him already. Um, and so in their minds, their mentality is, why would I come alongside of anyone who is being judged by God? So they would exclude anyone and everyone that might have a physical deformity or a mental handicap or anything like that in their false piety in the way they looked at God's word and they had to manipulate God's word in order to do this. They then interpreted to say, well, he's being cursed by God. Thus, I don't have to invite anyone to a banquet. And that's why we can right away know, man, he's there like the man with the withered hand. How do you get in? It's nothing but a glorious, not a glorious, but a mean trap. The second reason is the way they're watching him. It says there, and as they watched, including the whole lot of them, you take that word watch there, and you know what word we come up with? Surveillance. Our surveillance cameras all around this place. We watch everybody. <laughs> we have eyes on you. And that's exactly, you could see the little nudging going on. Oh, look, he's looking at him. Why is he looking at us? Oh, he's looking at him again. He's going to do it. Pharisee Phil, yeah, he's going to do it. Sadducee Sam, yep, watch, I'm telling you, he does it all the time. Look what it says in verse 3. And Jesus, he answered, spake unto the lawyers and the, and the Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on a Sabbath? He, he answers with a form of a question. But he's answering a question that's not even asked. He knows what's in their hearts. He knows. And I think with all my, I think he already, he knew it when he walked in there, what he was getting himself into. He recognizes, first of all, this is not an honest luncheon by any stretch. He takes on their question about, is it lawful? To heal on the Sabbath day. He's going to directly deal with their deceit. Their deception. But I want you to notice verse 4. They held their peace. And he took him and he healed him. Speaking of the man with the, the uh, dropsy. He heals him and he sets him. Um, he sets him or he lets them go. Man their response. Complete silence. I just in my gut. I just think there's not there's shock on their faces. It's like they're the guy behind the guy trying to hide behind the other head. You know, oh, no, he caught us in our dishonesty. Another reason why I think they they were silent or one of the reasons why I think they were silent is because they have no biblical basis for anything here. In other words, they cannot look at you and say, hey, look, according to to book, chapter and verse, this is why this man is not allowed at this feast. I'll be bringing that thought up again. And again, that's why they held their peace there. They had their traditions, but they were man made and there was no scriptural authority at all. And I just love how Jesus heals this man and he lets him go. It's almost Jesus is rescuing him, not just from a physical thing. You don't think he knew he was just bait? 
You don't think that this man who's suffering enough, now he has to be ridiculed like this, put on the spot, made a, a show of? I think what he said, Jesus, in a roundabout way, and Harry's paraphrase is, I'm going to get you out of this aggravation, and I'm going to just send you home to your family. Jesus asks the second question. Verse 5 says, which of you, if you have a donkey or an ox and it falls into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on a Sabbath day, who won't pull him out? The idea is, listen, a donkey and an ox. Um, they're no small animals. Uh, one time I was in, uh, just thought came to my head. I was on a straw bridge between two mountains in Nepal. And uh, Steve and I, we were standing there and we noticed as we were halfway across this drawbridge, it's, it had to be about 300 yards long. I mean, this thing was massive, but it was only three foot wide. And the wind, you're kind of like doing this as you're walking across. Right away, I see people shaking their heads, not me, baby. But anyway, um, these donkeys started to make their way. Their burrows kind of, they were carrying things on it, you know. Now, you would have thought that this nice little Nepali guy would have just waited to let us cross. Well, he didn't. He started sending them ahead, about 20 of them. And I'll tell you, they are strong animals. One of them just kind of hip-checked me into the side of it. Another one leaned against me. Not a small animal. You know, and you think of these ox. You know, in Nepal, they have these things like, they're called water buffaloes, but they're, they're like the size of an ox. Again, not small creatures by any stretch. So if one would fall into a ditch, unable to get out, he's asking them, which one of you, you know, which one of you would not go down? The thing is, they would all go down. And the reason they would go down is because when you look at an ox or you look at a donkey, they're very valuable to them. It's like sliding off in a ditch in your brand new car. You're going to stay there till you can get the thing out. And that's what the, he's saying to them. Jesus knew they would rescue a valuable, a valuable uh, animal. And everybody in the room knew it as well. You know, they would find a way. They would go and they would manipulate again the scriptures in order to rescue a, a, an animal like that. But, it, but listen, from God's view, of, uh, God's point of view, you'll do all that, manipulate the word of God to pull an animal out of a ditch, but you'll deny God the right to rescue a human being. There's something very wrong when religious laws or any law, of that matter of fact, any law says to treat an animal better than to treat a human. There's just something wrong with that. You know, the efforts being made to, serve, to, to save certain animals. And listen, I, I certainly am not a tree hugger, but, and I'm all down trying to save an extinct animal. But when that supersedes human, the humanity supersedes, then something is tr desperately wrong. And it needs to be looked at. Anyway, Look at verse 6 again. Follow along with me. They could not answer him again to these things. That's a good way or a nice way of just saying checkmate, huh? Now the lesson to this exchange between Jesus and these religious leaders and everyone else is valuable. Because we'll find ourselves in doubt about, I, I don't, about 
what to do in, in given situations. We might find ourselves in doubt about what God's word says when it comes to a particular thing you might be going through. And, uh, but, but something Chuck had said, Chuck Smith was a pastor of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, said, kind of the founder of the Calvary movement. But he said one time, he said, it's always better to go on the side of mercy and grace than the side of legalism and harshness. The side of mercy and grace. Why? Because there might be four different angles to look at it. You see, when you take the side of legalism and harshness, usually it says there is only one answer to that problem. And sometimes it's the, the hardest and it's the harshest. And, uh, and there are no other options. What am I talking about? Look, when you're going through a situation with someone or a group and you see thou shall not... Well, then you can handle that with certainty. There's no gray areas. But whenever there's a gray area, you're looking at something and you're just saying, you know, this really doesn't set right, right with me. And then you're looking at another person. But if I handle that, that person's going to get hurt. And if I do this, I might be insulting this person. So what do I do? I am always now, because I'm a lot older in the Lord, I am always going to err on the side of grace. And I'm going to just trust God that he's got this. Listen, when I was... Um, a lot younger and in, in my walk with the Lord and in, even in ministry, I made so mistakes because I thought there was only one way to handle a situation. And so I would dig in and I'd be dogmatic and I this is the way it's going to happen. And it doesn't matter who I mowed over. And then when I would look behind me, I just see rows of carnage behind me and I. Lord, this can't be you. And he, eventually he taught me the power of grace and mercy. How to be long-suffering and gentle and be patient with people, with the church. When there is not one given, thou shalt not or thou shalt, then always side on the side of grace and mercy. Amen, church? Listen, when you do that, you know... You will be closer to the heart of God than you would be if you became very legalistic in your way and dig down and not care about other people. It keeps you out of also, it keeps you out of a lot of unnecessary trouble. And by the way, number two, it, it is a very peaceful way of living. You don't have to be a spiritual cop. You don't have to police the church. Something that I keep reminding myself, still do it today. This is your church, God. This is the, you belong to him. We are all sons and daughters of the most high. Amen. And we all got saved somewhere during the course of our lives. We all got saved on the same common ground as the book of Jude says. We all got saved at the cross and he is our head shepherd It's just a peaceful, peaceful way of living. Not to major on minors or minor on majors. Just allow the Lord to handle it. Jesus has been watching them. It says he's been watching them. He's been observing them. So he tells them this parable. And some have called this parable the parable of the ambitious guest. 
the parable of the ambitious king. Now, listen, before I go any further and someone says, oh, we're not to be ambitious. No, there's godly ambition and then there is self-ambition, right? God wants us to be godly ambitious for the king, man. He wants us to serve him with all our heart, soul, and mind. Love him like that. But he says in verse 7, Again, notice that he's speaking it to his guests as well. He puts forth a parable to those which were bidden. They're the ones who came to the dinner. When he marked, when he saw how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them, now they come in, you know, the doors are open to the banquet hall. They come in and right away they're looking for the chief room or the closest table to the host. That would be the, the, the seat of honor. They're making, now Jesus noticed, they're making a beeline to these prominent seats. And again, the prominent seat would be the, as close to the host table. And uh, the least, of course, would be, what, the furthest away. I've got to tell you this one story. This is the most dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. Oh, my goodness. Years ago, Billy Graham's last crusade he had here in philadelphia i get this phone call from my pastor and he says hi i go yeah joe he goes, you want to go out to lunch with billy graham now i know joe has a lot of connections and i'm thinking <laughs> i said joe what day is it go, let me check my calendar real quick you know cal i didn't have a calendar on my desk <laughs> Sure, I can do that, you know. And so I am so stoked. I'm trying to stay humble about this. I am going to sit at a table with Billy Graham. My goodness, Lord. I know, I'm just a humble servant, you know. <laughs> so I go back to church. All the guys are there. We're getting ready for service over. And I said, hey, guys, next Saturday, I'm not going to be able to meet up with you. Oh, why? What's up? I go, I'm just going to go out to breakfast with Billy One of them said, Billy? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I meant Billy Graham. You're going to breakfast with Billy Graham? <laughs> so I was driving this 1964 Volkswagen Bug with holes in the floor, barely ran. So it's over in Philly, and I'm making a beeline there because I want to get to the best seat of honor. And I get there, and I'm sitting in the parking lot. I'm about an hour early, I kid you not. I'm waiting for Joe and Jer and Keep waiting and waiting. Next thing I see, another car, another car, another car. I start to think, am I in the wrong spot? And I keep seeing the parking lot being filled. And then Joe walks by. He goes, come on. I said, okay. When I get in there, there's 2,000 other pastors having lunch or breakfast with Billy Graham. I watch Billy Graham from a monitor. <laughs> so how do you go home? How was breakfast with Billy Graham? told you it was dumb <laughs> see they seated themselves based on their own self-evaluation you know this is look this is just an open display of pride self-promotion um, self-importance and a thing too by the way this is a religious crowd this is a group of people who claimed to know God, who claimed to have, you know, Judaism was their foundation. So Jesus is going to correct this whole thing in verses 8 through 11. 
He says, when you are, when you bid anyone to come to a wedding, now sit down, pardon me, sit down, or don't sit down in the highest room. Why? Well, less more honorable men than thou be bidden to come. And he that bids thee to come will say to you, hey, give this man place. And thou being with shame uh, to take the lowest room. Yeah, can you imagine? You, know, you get all the way up there, you come early, and then the hose comes in and looks down at you and he goes, what are you doing here? You, this is for someone else. And you got to stand up and put your head down and go walk it back. Oh, what a day. But when you are bid, when you're invited, you go, you sit down in the lowest, lowest room, that when he that bade you or invited you to come, he may say to you, hey, friend, go higher. Then shall thou have worship, or not worship like Doc said, but you'll have the praise in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. In other words, oh, man, he must, that host really must like that guy. They must be really good friends. And then he's taking you to the place of, of prominence. And again, I'll throw this verse in with it. Whosoever exalts himself will be made a base lowered, and he that humbles himself will be exalted. Listen, when anyone, anyone just assumes the place of honor, um, he runs the risk of humiliation. That is so true. Listen, it is said it is better to be humble than to be humbled. Make sense? Listen, I think when we see there in verse 10, where he's talking about go to the lowest, I think when Jesus entered into that room, he didn't even look for the host table. He went right to the end. And because uh, re reason, if you're all the way at the very end, if you're that humble, you're at the end. The only place to go is where? Yeah, go up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And what does he say? Then he will exalt you. Listen. Um, there's a lot of peace, a lot of peace and humility when we take the lower place. There's so, when you take the higher place, there's so much anxiety. There's so much drama, you know. We could really, if taking the lower place, we could go into a room and literally enjoy one another. When you take that place, you put everything in the master's hands. And when that time comes to be exalted then it will be the Lord himself that exalts you and not yourself. Psalm 75 verse 4 says, I said unto the fool, deal not uh, foolishly and to the wicked. Lift up, not up your horn. Old Testament horn means authority. Lift up not your own authority. Lift up not your authority on high. Speak not with a stiff neck, prideful neck, some arrogance. For promotion comes neither from the east or from the west or the south. God judges. He puts down one and he sets another up. It's God that does the promoting in the kingdom of God. And again, verse 11, if you exalt yourself, you're going to be put down. You humble yourself. You will be exalted. Humility allows God to come into our lives and to bless us. One of the greatest blessings, one of the greatest blessings one of the greatest blessings of taking on, a, on humility is you're more like Jesus than ever. You're more like him. 
And every Christian has a desire to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. You know, gang, this is just coming to my mind. But, you know, whenever you're in a, a given situation and there isn't that thou shall not. And you start to just think, OK, Jesus, how would you heal this? I mean, handle this thing. I want to be an example of you. How would you love this person? How would you extend grace and mercy? Lord, should I be like close to him right now, trying to direct him? Should I? Just stay humble in your, your relationship with him. Great place to be. The question again is, you know, how, how much did Jesus humble himself when he came into this world? Well, that answer is Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, made in the likeness of man, being fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him. And given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Everything in heaven, earth, and under the earth. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Listen. He knows how to get the attention of man. Look what he does here in verse 12. He, had, he directs this right to the host. Then he said to him that bid him, bade him, invited him. When thou makest dinner or supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brother, nor thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and recompense be made thee. In other words, when you put on a luncheon, or you put on some kind of a banquet, literally the Greek says, don't only invite He's not telling us not to be involved with our families, our friends, co-workers. He's saying that, but just don't restrict it to those people. He says, because, because literally, if you just do that, they're going to feel obligated to invite you. And that's going to be your reward. No, he's not saying that. He says, when thou makest a feast, I want you to call the poor, the main the lame, lame and the blind. In other words, you want to also invite those who have no hope in repaying you back. Never. They know your invitation. It is such an act of grace. Because there's no way they're going to be able. Maybe you'll get a thanks for the invite. And that'll be about it. Listen. I believe that the Lord rewards that kind of action. I believe that the Lord will reward based on how humble we really are. Humility. Think about it, gang. If we're going to mirror or mimic our lives after the most humble man that ever lived on this face, if we're to be like him, to think how humbled, how, how humbled he was when he came to die. You know, I, I just think that it's such a witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives to a, a world that is lost and dying. I want to read something to you. It is, um, it is a, uh, a poem that I have found, and there's a lot of controversy of who wrote it. 
It was written by a monk. I know that. It was written in 1867. And it was a prayer that this uh, this brother so-and-so penned out. Please listen to it. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. Deliver me, Jesus, from the desire of being esteemed, from the desire of being extolled, from the desire of being honored. Deliver me from the desire of being praised, from the desire of being preferred to others. Deliver me from the desires of being consulted, the desires of being approved. Deliver me from fear, the fear of humiliation, the fear of being despised, the fear of suffering rebuke, the fear of, cumul uh, of false deflammatory remarks, the fear of being forgotten, the fear of being ridiculed, the fear of being wronged, the fear of being suspected that others may, may be loved more than I. Jesus grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinions of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and set aside. And others may be praised and, and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. And others may become holier than I. Provide that I do become holier as I should. Humility. Humbleness. Taking the lower place. Gang, it isn't easy. It isn't easy. God, it isn't easy. He knows it. But it is something that he asks us to be. To look at a situation and you're not quite sure, then side on the side of grace and mercy. You want to know why humility is so important to the believer? Because without it, I'm not sure if we can accurately serve him. The way he wants us to serve him. He wants us to serve him like Jesus served the world, right? He came, he humbled himself. He humbled himself all the way to the, the obedience to die on the cross. It is a necessary thing in the service of God. One of my favorite verses way back when I first got saved was Micah chapter 6, 8. There was actually a song that was, uh, was put to this. He has shown the old man what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. To, but anyway, I won't hurt your ears. But it says this. He has shown the old man what is good and what the Lord doth require of thee. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to what? Walk humbly with our God. That word literally humble can also be translated the way we serve him humbly. It is a very example of who Christ is. Again, we want to be that example. If you remember there in Matthew eleven twenty nine, when he says, take my yoke upon you, learn of me. Why? I'm meek, lowly in heart. And that's when you're going to find rest for your souls. The whole pride thing it's, there's so much anxiety and stretch. You've got to keep up with the law. Or you've got to keep up with your ideologies. And before you know it, there's no rest. There's no rest to the legalist. But to those who have humbled themselves in the sight of God. And they know who they are. Sinners saved by grace. And in great, God greatly uses them. And then in the kingdom, they start to move up that, that ladder of honor. Right? And you know it's the hand of God. Listen, he says this. If then I, the Lord, your master, wash your feet. Um, 
Ye also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. You talk about a lowly servant. You talk about humility. A slave would have to wait for you to come in. You wouldn't go any further than just the foyer of that house. He would have a little stool. He would sit you down. He would kneel down on whatever grimy floor that was. Take your sandals off. Then he would begin to wash your feet. This is what Jesus demonstrated um, in a demonstration of humility. And he's asked us to do the same. Colossians 3.12 tells us that we should put this on. Please listen. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and, bow, and beloved, bowels of mercy and kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man has a quarrel against thee, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectionness. Love is what really, in fact, Paul would say, if you want to know a more excellent way, learn love. That's the excellent way that we would put it on. One of the things I've asked the ushers here is to sport around a certain shirt that has on it, you know, sort of like Calvary Chapel, South Jersey. The reason we do this is because when you walk in, if you're a guest, a guest you will say, wow, that guy has on one of the usher shirts. They can help me. You know, oh, that guy can direct me to the restrooms. That guy can direct me to the Sunday school. Oh, that usher's out in the parking lot. He's going to help me park. That's what God is saying here. Put this on so that other people can identify you. And what you're putting on is humility. You're putting on love. You're putting on mercy. And when you do that, you are exemplifying who Jesus Christ really is. We're to be clothed with it is what Peter also says there in First Peter chapter five, verse five. I'll just pull some of it out of the out of verse five. He says being clothed with humility. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Ephesians chapter four says that we are to walk with humility. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, for you note takers, I love when you guys are writing notes. It talks about, it's a warning against false humility. He was dealing with a certain group of men there in Colossians who said they were super Pentecostal or super charismatic. And they were saying, oh, we, we've seen angels and we have had visions. But Paul says this is nothing but false piety. They're tooting their own horns. If you saw a vision, if you saw angels, you wouldn't go around bragging about it. You'd be very humbled about it, would you not? So he warns them. You want a real kind of a, a neat way to remember humility? A little acronym, if you'll just jot this down. H stands for honoring God above yourself. U, understanding your need for grace. M, mourning, like you're grieving, mourning over your sin. I, illuminating God's glory. All right, I'll let you catch up. <laughs> L, looking for a way to serve others. I, ignoring your pride, because we all have it, and Satan's lie. T, Trusting God's plan over your own. 
and why yearning to worship. That's humility. Greg, you can make your way out. Listen, I want to leave you with a poem. And something, to please consider it prayerfully. Um, it was a poem written by a young woman. I forget her name. She penned it out, 2015. And um, she was kind of hoping it would be turned into a song. But anyway, never did. But here's the poem. Two emotions deep down inside are those of humility and pride. They produce what men may see in the life of both you and me. A haughty spirit can sure reside in a heart that's filled with pride. A humble spirit is in you and me when you're filled with humility. You can lift up yourself with pride, but God's word is not to be denied. God's word is clear and loud, and God will humble the proud. Men may believe that they are wise, but that is only in their own eyes. For all the pride, and my dear friend, by the Lord shall be condemned. Men who, humble, men who are humble and meek, by proud men are considered weak. By the Lord are they never despised, but truly favored in God's eyes. The Lord will exalt humble men, for this is in his word, my friend. They will be lifted up by the Lord, as by God they're not ignored. On the cross there was no pride, as Jesus Christ our Savior died. Christ had displayed for us humility, as Jesus the Savior of all humanity. Eternal God, far from weak, was to all men humble and meek. God humbled, God's example is for all to behold, and his word will not grow old. Friend, pride can be a hindrance to the life Christ has given us. Pride will never be used by God, but it shall be judged by a rod. Allow Christ's humble spirit within, then you shall be used by him, as only a meek and humble life truly displays the power of Christ. Let's stand together. There is no way, no way this side of heaven that we can read a piece of scripture like this and not ask ourselves, am I really humble? Because even that question seems a little prideful, isn't it? You know? See, that's probably one of those issues you deal with in your prayer closet. But it is an honest question. And I think, gang, if you just let me have your attention for, pardon me, one second. If in your heart you truly want to be used by the Lord, then maybe it's a question you can ask him as we're singing our last song. Lord, am I filled? Am I riddled? Am I self-consumed? Is it just about me? Or am I other-centered? Am I an example of you. So let's sing and let's just make this uh, a prayer of ours and then I'll close out in prayer.
Can you lower your heads for a second, guys? Again, you read through the word. The word can be a, it can be sweet. It can become bitter, as Elijah said. And I, I don't know. I just want to pray for anyone that's here today that this message has just struck your heart and you just want God just to get rid of the pride. You want God just to get rid of this, this self-centeredness in your life. Would you just raise your hand and you can just put it right back down again? Yeah, me too. Father, as, as we stand here in your presence, Lord, we thank you for your word. And that might have even seemed like a loaded question, Lord. I think everybody in this room wants to die to self. But I know, Lord, there can be that issue of just pride. Where it's almost a sin issue. It's, it's just not dealing with this sinful nature. It's something we have gravitated for some reason to, Lord. And we want to just leave that at the cross this morning. And... And then really the main reason, Father, is because we want to be like you, Lord. You said that you have done certain things to be an example for us to follow. And one of those is humility, Lord. And I pray for us, Lord. I pray for us collectively, everyone in this room. God, would you please, with your Holy Spirit, just, Lord, rid us of the pride. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fill us with the contentment, Lord. Paul said there's one thing he learned, that he could be content in everything, God, no matter where we, he found himself. So, Lord, please give us that heart. Thank you again for this time we, we've had together in your word, in worship. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said together.